Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. from Romans 12, and to give a quick background to Romans, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, probably his last letter as his arrival in Rome. He he did not make it out of Rome alive, and he writes to a church he hasn't visited. He writes to a church that's going to sound a bit familiar, even though it's 2,000 years old. See, this church the church of the first century involved two main groups of people. There there was the Jewish Christian because Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. All the first people that came to this faith were Jewish. And then they spread out into the lands around them and began to tell the good news, the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, of the coming of the kingdom of God. They began to tell everyone because Christ had commissioned them to do that. And so suddenly non-Jewish people, or Gentiles as they're called, were becoming a part of the church. And so the Jewish people who had been set apart and different and operated with completely different rules and practices as far as what they ate, how they looked, how they cut their hair, what kind of clothes they wore, how they spent their time, how they operated in the world, were now intermingled with a group that had none of those traditions and in fact had all their own traditions and in fact many, a myriad of other traditions and they're all coming together to be one family, to call each other sister and brother. And that's why we refer to God as father, not because God's male, but because the relationship is what they understood. In the first century, the father was the head of the whole family. And so this new family regarded God as father to communicate this new structuring this new ordering of all of life. So when we become a part of the church, like the early church, we all come from different backgrounds, all different understandings of how to do life, of how to make certain foods, right? We have arguments over whose chili is better, right? Because we all grew up with different kinds or, or lots of superficial arguments, right? If the toilet paper is right side up or, or upside down or or what's the right translation of the scripture to read, or what's the proper way to baptize, and how are we supposed to or not supposed to have communion? That's the kind of things that we get ourselves in trouble with in the church. And then in our daily lives, there are just different ways to operate and to do things, how to talk, how not to talk, the same kind of things people were struggling through. When we step into this church, when we say yes to baptism, just like the church from 2,000 years ago, we are leaving behind the old structure, the old life. We're even leaving behind the old hierarchy of who our parents are as far as how our life is governed. We take care of our parents, of course, but suddenly our father is God. We're in the household of God. God makes the rules. It's God's way that governs us. 
God orders and structures the whole system, the whole thing, all relationships come. Now we are a brother and sister to Christ. We're brother and sister to one another. Everything is different. What matters is our relationship to one another and to God. How we operate in the family can be very different from one person to the next, just like the families that we know. But what binds us together is our familyhood. And so Paul is writing to remind this church that had come together two different groups and then due to some things going on in the Roman society, the Jewish Christians were expelled from Rome and so then suddenly the church was only the Gentile presence. And so not all these old traditions and rules. And so then eventually when the Jewish Christians were allowed to come back, the church looked different. They looked different. How do they reintegrate? And they approached conversations the same way we do today. Someone's right and someone's wrong. And we need to figure out who it is. And then they need to change and become right or they don't fit. They're not really part of the family. We still do this today, which leads us to all our divisiveness. This way of thinking about the world, Paul has said, is the old way. It's the way of the, the old age, the, the present evil age that's still here. But Christ began the new age. One day that new age will be complete. And one day all the old ways will be gone. But we're in the midst of this kind of overlap. And so when you enter into the church, you're stepping out of the old way and you're saying, I live by the new way, by God's way. You cannot go back, Paul says. And that means everything in life changes if you fully understand this. And even how to understand faith in God is going to change, which is really hard for us. How do we change our mode of thinking when we don't even recognize that there are modes of thinking and that ours is just one of many, right? It's, it's very difficult. Now, usually if you've had a roommate or if you've lived with someone long enough, you start to learn pretty quick the different modes of thinking on those, some of those superficial items. But there's a whole new mode of thinking just with God. And we see this with the Jewish Christians because there used to be the law and you followed the law and that's how you were a good child of God. But suddenly, God's grace is given to you first. Paul said, Jesus Christ died while we were yet sinners. That's how we know God's love for us. So God acted out of grace first. We don't have to earn it. It's already ours. We simply need to accept it. And then the Gentiles came with their different ways of understanding their gods, that they had to give so much sacrifice and please their God if they wanted to receive. It was very transactional. If you do this for your God, then your God will do something for you. And yet, this God that Jesus came and presented and revealed has already done all that we need. And so the sacrifice is not transactional. We aren't trying to be good people so that God will love us and God will bring good things to us. God already loves us. God already brings good things to us. And we respond out of our true understanding of that reality. It's a different way to think. So Paul's been walking them through all these different ways to think. He started with the story back at the beginning. That's why Romans is amazing. And then he gets to this part in the letter where he tries to reiterate that 
to understand and to be transformed, it starts inwardly. Following rules is never going to lead us where we want to go. It's rather understanding the renewal that's needed within, that from the inside out, this transformation happens. And so he writes to the people in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable, since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophecy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one giving should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul appeals to the church to live this new way of life, to present their whole body. So as a living sacrifice, this is their priestly service. Your translation might say that's spiritual worship. So spiritual worship, priestly service, what we're supposed to do is present our whole bodies, our whole bodies as a living sacrifice. Couple things. Sacrifice, as we use the word today, always means we're doing something negative to ourselves for the sake of someone else. And so parents sacrifice for their children. One person sacrifices for the life of another. Sacrifice in this understanding is by the new way of thinking. And it starts with God's mercies. God's mercies is where this new way of living begins. When we understand God's mercy, and I understand God's mercy because my goodness, when I had the reins of my life and led myself, I led myself into some pretty awful, terrible, dumb situations. Are you with me? Yeah, you've been there yourself. I imagine so. But somehow God found us anyway. Somehow God's love and mercy came into my life anyway. Part of that was this voice within, something guiding me, speaking to me, urging me to different paths. And when I began to recognize that there was something in me that was not of me, that led to my curiosity and exploration in my journey of faith. And luckily, I was surrounded by people who were ready to love me all the while while I figured it out, while I led myself down some dumb and silly and awful paths and loved me through it. 
Not once do I remember any life-changing moment coming because someone pointed at me and judged me and told me what a mess I was. I'm sure that happened. I don't remember it because I knew what a mess I was. And frankly, I'm not interested in, in that kind of relationship. You know what I mean? It were the people, the people that were in my life that loved me and extended grace and continued to love me and nurture me as I floundered. They were the ones that started to perplex me. Why, why are they so full of this grace and patience with me? And I began to understand it's because they know God's mercy. They weren't placing themselves above me. They understood exactly where I was at because they had been there and they knew that God would lead me out. God, that as soon as I was ready to really follow, God would lead me out. And now I see people around me who I, I, I think are floundering. And it's such a temptation to think that I'm so much better, but I'm not. I'm so grateful to God that I have been redeemed, that I have received such great mercy and love, love far beyond my understanding, that now I simply want to be a part of God's work in the world for others and for the world itself. Why wouldn't I want to be? It's amazing, it's beautiful, it's honorable, it's love, it's grace, it's right. And so now I try to give myself as much as I can and I, I still flounder, I'm still a mess, I still have temptations, but I'm trying to grow in that direction and to remember that to present my living sacrifice, that my whole body is a living sacrifice, that means the whole thing, yeah. All my life, every moment. So if I look at my time and just scroll through my phone calendar and look at how I invest my time, who am I worshiping? What am I worshiping? If I were to look at my finances and look through my bank records, who am I worshiping? For who am I living my financial life or for what? Now, it'll tell you, you go and look. How I operate in my mercy. Am I merciful? Have I lost sight of God's mercy for me to where I'm not merciful for others? Am I demanding justice from others when they do me wrong? Or am I giving grace as others gave me, as God gives me? It starts with God's mercies, Paul says. And from there, we move forward. When we start to remember that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. This is God's love proven to us, that God loves us. We're already acceptable. We're already worthy. We're already loved. That when we can shift our minds away from the old ways of thinking that says, well, if you do something, then something good will be done for you, right? Transactional. Some of us still approach God that way. In fact, when something bad happens, we wanna know, God, what did we do wrong? You see, that's the old way of thinking. Bad things happen because we still live in the midst of the present age. While there is the new age breaking in, there's still the old age. That's why bad things happen. It's not a matter of transaction. And when we start to make that shift and realize we're already loved, we're already gods, life starts to be lived differently. That renewing of our minds transforms our understanding, our actions, our decisions, the whole idea of what the order of this life is. That's what Paul wants from the church. Yeah, they're two different groups of people. Yeah, they're divided on a lot of things. Yeah, there's a lot of opinion. 
And we, we have a really good knack of dividing ourselves up. And just as an example, it's election year, so we're more aware of it than ever, right? Half of us think one group of people is the greatest thing ever and that the other group of people are terrible. And then there are people on this side who think, oh, this group's the one that's, that's actually good and this group's the one that's terrible. And that's the pattern of the world. And sometimes we get sucked into it to where we start to think the same way, where we just trust this group that this group's really the problem. Or we trust this group that this group's really the problem. Yeah, you've seen the pattern. We see it in racism. We have a great history of humanity figuring out who's different and why and why they are less than. I mean, we see it in middle school, right? You, you, you figure out who's the popular, who's unpopular, and suddenly it's all structured in this way to where one group has to sit at that lunch table and another group has to sit at this lunch table. We never outgrow this. And then racism, you know, it was only in the 1950s that it became legal to be a citizen of the United States when you were not white. Prior to the 1950s, you could not legally be a citizen unless you were white. Yeah, because if you weren't white, well, you had to sit at this table and citizenry was only reserved for this group. Paul saw it then, we see it now. The church has said, out with the old and in with the new. The problem is when our transactional thinking, we step into the church and we think that we can still live by the old way and just make sure that our group at this table is godly and that group's not, right? And we get into lots of arguments and, and the church is gonna split over that kind of thinking. Uh, that it, it's, it's gonna split one way or the other. People are already leaving it's so sad. We've forgotten God's mercy. We have forgotten the new way. We have forgotten that we are all one family. I've forgotten at times. You have forgotten at times. And it's time for us to turn around and to get ourselves back on track. And it starts with us. Don't be thinking, oh yeah, well this person needs to do that or that person needs to do that. You're, you're, you're still thinking the old way. You need to do that. We need to do that. This church should be about the new way, out with the old. It's not about right and wrong and divvying everybody up. In this church, in this reality, we're all sisters and brothers. Everyone belongs under the same roof. We all have one parent in God. And we live by God's way, not the world's way. And so Paul is saying, quit being conformed to the world. Let God renew your mind. Live into the new way. Remember that all of us, all of us that are Christians, we have a portion of the exact same faith, the exact same faith and the exact same Savior. We may have divvied each other up into different denominations and buildings and practices, but we're all part of the same faith. So any temptation we have to think that one group's better than another, that's the old way of thinking. And we need to let that go. We're going to live counter-culturally. The church should be countercultural. We don't try to be countercultural for the sake of being countercultural because that line of thinking is rarely fruitful. We are countercultural because we are not part of the old way. And when we say no to this black and white, either all in, all out, right, wrong, 
divvying people up, finding the, the haves and the have-nots and, and power and, and who, who deserves and who doesn't. We live in a different way, and that in itself is countercultural. Are we truly countercultural in the way that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way that we talk about each other, the way we do politics, the way we're a part of our families and friendships and jobs, the way that we live? Are we a part of the new, or are we still desperately stuck in the old? Have we accepted God's mercy as the driver, as the foundation of all the new things that God did in Jesus Christ? And are we operating out of that mercy, or are we still back here in a transactional? Well, if I do something, God will do something for me. I can be better. I'll be a Christian, and they're not, so therefore I'm better. They'll go there, and I'll go here. There's a better way. And Paul is asking us, urging us, appealing to us, encouraging us, out of God's mercy to go all in to this entirely new way of thinking and being. The Holy Spirit is already with you, friends. That voice, that urging, that guidance that's not of you, that is the Spirit at work within you. That's the Spirit at work within this group of people as the church, because as the church, we are to live differently in the world around us. And if we are not living counterculturally as the church, then we need to wonder, are we really the church? Or have we just convinced ourselves? The Holy Spirit is just waiting for you to say, okay, lead me. Lead me. The Holy Spirit leads us when we simply present our whole lives to God. And so present your whole life to God this day, my friends. Be who you are. Don't worry about what your gifts and weaknesses are, what you're good at or not good at. So you're not the pastor. You're not called to be. I am. So I'm trying to do that the best I know how. Be who you are called to be the best you know how and trust that God is at work behind it all because we are all part of the one body. I need you, you need me. We all need each other because we are sisters and brothers of our one parent, God. And this life is good and this life is full of mercy and there are so many in the world who need to experience that mercy as well. Let us be people of mercy led by the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.